You're listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. You know, at times I feel like we live in a culture of categories. Well, by and large, people are divided into groups and in divisions, and I'm not anti-distinction. I understand that we're different. I understand the importance of giving definition to some of those differences. As a matter of fact, I believe that a person probably won't fulfill their destiny if they don't understand their difference. Destiny for me is the ultimate unique contribution that a person's going to make to the world. And that's going to be different. It's going to make a difference. So I affirm that I'm with that. I'm for that. Yet at the same time, I feel like labels can be limiting if we let them. That very often a person looks at their race, their class, their gender, their educational background, and they allow their history to influence whether or not they believe they can accomplish their destiny. And that is something that I think is dangerous. It's dangerous for the individual because they're going to put a period where God put a comma. And it's also dangerous for the world because it robs the world of the benefit of the contribution you would make if you would refuse to be limited. And I think that is one of the truths we see found in the pages of scripture, right? One of my favorite Old Testament passages details a man named Abraham who was very old in age and his wife, Sarah, being able to have a child. I don't think that story is present in the pages of scripture to tell us to attempt to have children in our 90s. If you want to do that, go for what you know. (laughs) But I don't think that's the reason it's there. I think it's there metaphorically to teach you and I that God can empower us to give birth to things in a season where others feel like it's too late. That he does accomplish anomalies, meaning I cannot look at what has happened with everyone else and use that as an indicator of what can happen for me. What happened with them is not always an accurate indicator of what can happen for me. This is in no way a slight to anyone else. It is simply a belief in yourself. That you can be, you should be, the world needs us to be barrier breakers. That we don't have to be confined to the constraints of cultural categories. We don't have to be this or that. We can be this and that. And I believe our conversation today is going to help speak to the barrier breaker in some of you. Because we have a powerful example of someone who is walking this out and we're going to hear from her expertise and her experience today. She is the one and the only Christine Kane, and she's the next guest on the Darius Daniels podcast. like if we're going to be fans of anybody that we should be fans of those who are actually changing the world i got a world changer as my guest today she is rocking the world with her words and her leadership author speaker leader of propel and a21 a game changer christine welcome to the darius daniels podcast Darius, thank you for having me. I think I'm going to tape that introduction and take it on the road with me wherever (laughs) I go. That was awesome. (laughs) It's true. It is so true. You know, I heard one leader say one time, humility isn't being ignorant of what you have and who you are. It's forgetting who gave it to you. Beautiful. Hey, ain't that the truth? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So listen, how are you? How are you doing? What's going on with you? We just love to hear a little bit. You know, we're doing uh, well. I'm so grateful. I mean, you know, for the whole planet right now, this is a, 
you know, an unprecedented season. We hear that word all the time. Um, in the midst of it, of course, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. I, that's so real. Um, but I've seen glimpses of God. This has been a great opportunity for, I call it a divine reset uh, in mm. our life, in our family, in our ministry. You know, um, I am married, uh, Darius, to the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh <laughs> on planet Earth. And so <laughs> we've been married for 24 years. My husband, Nick, and together we oversee A21 and uh, all of the ministry. And we have two beautiful daughters, Catherine Bobby, who's 18, and Sophia Joyce, who's 14. And so we've been home um, in California for nearly 11 weeks now because of what's been happening. I have not been home off the road for 11 weeks in th- over three decades. And so wow. this is like uh, something. So, you know, we have 28, 21 offices around the world. Uh, and Propel is in 88 countries around the world. So basically, I just spend my life doing laps of the globe. So it's been a really different season um, having to be in one place. But, you know, containment can bring a lot of innovation. Containment can bring a lot of creativity. Mm. And so we, I have found... I, in these last three months, I've never worked harder. We've never had more creative ideas, more innovative ideas. Uh, everything in the ministry has gone forward, which is absolutely wow. astounding. <laughs> Our family has gotten stronger. And so I think, you know, how you frame your circumstances often dictates what happens in your circumstances. And we mm. frame this as a divine reset, a divine opportunity, a great opportunity to do things we'd wanted to do, but we were running so fast for so long, we couldn't do them and uh the divine reset has happened i'm just so ready for the future that's exciting and you know i'm i'm as you're talking i'm sitting and i'm getting tired listening to you talk about all of the things that you were doing (laughs) i got tired just i thought i was busy i got tired just hearing about it so listen speaking of some of the things that you mentioned I really want to have us, a com- have us to have a conversation around this. I really feel like if that was a word I would use to describe Christine Kane, it's barrier breaker. It really is because I think um, in one of the gospels, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a fisherman who threw out a net and got all kinds of fish. And so in that sense, the kingdom is not this or that, it's this and that. Yeah. And I really think when I look at your life, your leadership, your ministry, you model that in a great sense. There's this commitment to like biblical integrity, yet at the same time, a reliance on the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. There is this amazing leadership gift that's being used to provide leadership to all of these life changing and cultural, uh, transformative organizations. Then at the same time, you're a wife and you're a mother, et cetera. So I want to know, I'm assuming other people do too. How do you do it all? You know, I love that uh, question. And for me, Darius, you know, all of what I do is an outflow of who I am. I I truly believe that, um, you know, I, I, God called me and my life is like a wheel. I say, you know, um, a wheel has lots of different spokes on it. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm an author. I'm a leader. Uh, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I mean, I've got all of these different spokes like any wheel, but my life is not compartmentalized. I think this is what confuses a lot of people. I don't have like this, these neatly fine tuned compartments. I have a, a wheel that has a lot of spokes. I get up in the morning and I aim for one thing, the hub of that wheel, which is Jesus. And Mm. then I need the anointing. I need the oil of the Holy Spirit to keep that wheel spinning, just like you oil your wheel on a bike to keep going round. And for me, as long as it's very simple, as long as I aim for Jesus, have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I keep doing the things I know I should be doing, my spiritual disciplines, staying in connection with the Lord, surely then in those times, if I isn't the Holy Spirit going to tell me, Chris, your daughters might need a little bit more attention. Your husband might need a little bit more attention. This office in that country might need something more or that office. So to me, what burns you out or exhausts you is not 
how much you do for God. It's actually what you stop doing. So if you stop paying attention to those deep inner things uh, in your soul realm, your spiritual disciplines, your accountability, um, then it's a lot easier to get off course. So to me, I don't feel like I'm juggling a hundred balls in the air at all. I feel like I am smack bang in the will of God, that I'm working uh, in the timing of God, in the purpose of God, as God unveils. You know, I've been doing this a long time. It's th- I'm 54 years old this year. It's not just like a suddenly I didn't start age 21 until I was 40. I didn't start Propel until I was 50. I was youth evangelist for uh, 15 years. I've been in one local church for 31 years under one pastor, submitted in one place. And so so there's a lot to be said for longevity and the Lord has added. See, I have not tried to run ahead of God. Um, the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what? In due season, God will exalt you. Part of the challenge with a generation is we're not waiting for a due season. We're trying to force our season. So we're getting there ahead of God. And so then there's no grace for our race. But I have found a lot of grace for my race because I'm not, I'm not trying to invent things to do. I'm doing the next right thing that God's putting before me. But my prayer daily is here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, enlarge my capacity, strengthen, lengthen, stretch. I want to do everything that the Lord Jesus Christ has put me on this earth to do. And God didn't call me to do ministry and destroy my marriage. God didn't call me to have a huge A21 and my daughters to not love Jesus. So God is not opposed to himself. That's why it's not either or, it's both and. You know, are you a wife and mother or a minister? Uh, Both. Do you believe Mm. in spirit or truth? Both. Do you think God Mm. can use male or female? Both. You know, is it, uh, you know, you go grace or, or truth? Is it faith or works? Both, 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 both. You said that at the outset. I've always had a both and um, a kind of commitment. So, you know, is it souls or justice? Both. Uh, So, uh, to me, um, keeping, navigating that tension of the both enables me to do what God's called me to do. So, it it just, um, I I can't say I, I work hard. Um, and I press like Paul. I feel like I press on, um, but I don't. There's a difference between there's kind of two types of ambition the Bible speaks about. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition, but um, it's good to have godly. And Paul says three times, Paul says, my it is my ambition, but his ambition is to preach the gospel. His ambition is to take the gospel further. So it's good to have godly ambition. Selfish ambition will kill you because when you are motivated by selfish ambition, you're driven, not drawn. Godly ambition draws you by the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill your destiny. Selfish ambition drives you out of your own woundedness to try to get affirmation, significance, security, and approval out of what you do. But when your identity is firmly rooted and grounded in Christ, then you're apologetic for who God's called you to be. I'm not going to conform to what a cultural myth is of what a woman should be. Um, I'm not going to conform to a religious perspective of what a woman should be or a cultural perspective um, of any of that. Nick and I, we want to have the marriage that God has called us to have. We want the parents God has called us to be, and we want to lead the ministries that God has called us to lead. So, I think the more secure you are in Christ, the less you have to prove to people. So, I don't have to wait a heck of a lot of my time and energy trying to prove my motives or prove my ability. Listen, I know I'm not that good. I already know that Jesus is the one that is good, so I don't need to worry. I'm like when, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees looked at Peter and John and said they saw that they were unlearned and uneducated men, but they could see they had been with Jesus. So, the thing you can't take from me is I've been with Jesus. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe He is who He says He is. I believe He could do what He says He could do. So, I am going to live this one and only life trying to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Oh, that's amazing. As you speak, I hear a couple of things. And one is I hear this amazing sense of clarity. And I want to lean into that a little bit, because I think you're right. There is this tension between am I being driven or am I being drawn? There is this tension between am I being inspired by the leading of the Holy Spirit or am I attempting to use, whether it's business or accomplishments or acquisitions, am I attempting to use that to acquire, I don't know, some affirmation that I should have before I begin? 
You know, I, I think that's one of the, the distinguishing marks about the ministry of Jesus is he did ministry from a place of affirmation. After the baptism by John, he gets the public affirmation of his father. And so for me, I feel that as you speak, I sense that this amazing sense of clarity and it's clarity, not just on who you are, but what you've been called to do. And yes. so I, I've, my question is, how did you arrive? Because someone may be listening and I don't know, they could be in their 20s about to make a decision with the next season of their life with college, or they could be attempting to maybe expand a business. How did you get that sense of clarity? Yeah, and I think you grow to into that. Um, you know, it would be impossible for me to say when people say, Chris, when you started in ministry at 22, could you see all of this? Well, of course I couldn't because at 22, I did not even know trafficking existed. I didn't even know that existed until I was 40. So I always smile when young 20-year-olds say, this is what I'm going to do for God. I'm like, wow, okay, that's really limited because some of the things that are having the most uh, fruitfulness in my life and the things that um, perhaps I'm most known for and are most effective in, on a global basis, I did not know those things existed in my 20s. But in my 20s, I made a commitment to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do a deep work of healing on the inside of me. I made a decision mm. that I was just going to submit myself to church and submit myself to the leaders. Um, and then in doing that, for me, it really worked. You know, it was just like my pastor put me over uh, at the youth ministry and then the state youth movement and my opportunities to preach in church. That's where I got my reps up doing that, serving in my local context, not necessarily. I wanted to do great things for God, but I didn't know what those things were. But I knew the greatest thing I could do for God was the next step, which is serve in my local church. And really, that's that's what I did. I, I mean, I wish I could say it was something more dramatic that I was, you know, the angels came and did a, a, a line dance on my bed and said, "Thus, Christine, one day you're going to be leading this global women's movement and one day you're going to be leading this global anti-trafficking. But I um, I'm doing that today as an outflow of my steps of obedience when I didn't know what was next, but I just had to obey the next small thing. Because God doesn't do, I don't, there's only, the suddenlies in the Bible, the suddenlies normally take 15 to 20 years. So suddenly you see Christine's mm. doing all of this. It's like, honey, there was a good 20 years before you saw the suddenly. <laughs> you know, there was a, a good 20 years of serving where God was preparing me for what he had prepared for me, where God was building my character uh, in the day and the age in which we live, in the, the Instagram social media age, we kind of see the end result of someone's life and we want to start there without the character formation it takes wow. to get there. But if you don't allow the, uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit to develop the character of Christ on the inside of you and the light of Christ on the inside of you, the spotlight that is on you will destroy you if the light that is within you cannot sustain you. And so, we shouldn't be running out to go, man, I want to be in the spotlight. I want to do all these awesome things for God where the light's on me. You won't know whether you're going to last the distance until you're willing to be faithful and obedient when you are unapplauded when you are uninvited, when you're in the back of the wilderness, when nobody sees you, nobody knows your name, but you're doing what you're doing because you love Jesus and you want to serve Jesus. So, I think I had decades of internal character formation that mm -hmm. prepared me for, you know, a lot of what the Lord's um, done now, but I never wanted to do what was possible because I could do the possible in my own strength. To me, the sign that the Holy Spirit is on my life and working in my heart is when you start going into the exceedingly abundantly above and beyond realm. I, I don't even think until you start breaking barriers, are you really even in the God realm? Because of everything that, if I can do it in my own strength, if mm -hmm. I've got my own contacts, my own ability, my own talent, my own wisdom, why do I need God? And I think there's plenty of Christians that are doing just what they can do in their own strength. And it looks okay, but it's not supernatural. I don't want to do just what's naturally possible. I mean, how boring that i want the ex i want i mean i say to the lord frequently i'll go lock myself in a room and i go lord your word says 
that my eyes have not seen, my ears have not heard, nor has it entered into my heart the things that you've got for me. So, God, I've seen the best in the world. I've heard the best in the world. I've tried to imagine the best that my mind can imagine. So, God, you've got to do better than that. You've got to do better. So, I'm constantly asking him to push the barriers in my life. And I do that by not comparing myself with other people, but by getting in the prayer closet with God. Because to to li- to compare myself with other people is profoundly limiting. Not only is it, uh, you know, for many people, it would cause you to shrink and not feel good enough in many ways. But the other side of comparison is a real spirit of pride as well. But why would I limit myself to only what somebody else has done that is possible. If I get in the prayer closet with God and I can get into the supernatural, you know, uh, Darius, I I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. So, Mm -hmm. if I get myself locked up in a room and I'm like, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. I'm not going to spend my life scrolling through Instagram to look at what everyone else is doing. I'm going to get in my prayer closet to ask God what his thoughts are, to ask God what his ways are. I I want the God realm. I don't want to compare and compete in the natural realm. I think that is so astounding because I think what you're doing is you're identifying really the source of the barrier breaking that you've done. (laughs) And, And I think, I think it's important to lean in there a little bit because it's really easy for all of us, myself included, to assume that there is always some sort of strategy, some sort of plan, something that we can look at. And I do believe we need to do our part. So I'm not dismissing that. Yet at the same time, some of the uniqueness of what we see that has happened in and through your life is a result of you knowing that there has to be a reliance and a dependence on a power and an expertise and a wisdom that is actually beyond yours. You know, I, I think one of the things that I actually had a conversation with someone about this last night, and I said, especially with the way I'm wired, my personality type, I said I would be a learner of G- a learner from Jesus if I wasn't a follower of Jesus. Because right. to me, yeah, just he's the most influential person in human history. So even if you don't receive him as Messiah, as I do, the fact of the matter is who in, who in human history has had more impact, <laughs> who's been more influential than him. So it, it just makes sense. It's not even just theological. It's just like logical to say, yeah, there's going to have to be a reliance upon the one who's the ultimate barrier breaker and a learning from him. Absolutely, that posture, because to do what I do, I can't go to any library in the world and get a textbook on it and go, okay, (laughs) a woman at 54 leading a global anti-trafficking organization, leading a global, let me find a textbook, see who's done that and how they're going to do it. You know, I learn from everywhere. I mean, we uh, the systems and practices we have in our organization are second to none in the world. I have the best consultants, the best people. So, I, I'm a very big believer in um, great governance, great systems. Mm-hmm. I learn, I'm learn. i a constant learner. There's no doubt about that. It's not that I um, – not only do I – I lean in from the uh, to learn from the best of the best, but when we're talking about the X factor that you go, well, how do you break those barriers? I don't – I can't break those barriers – from what I just see around me, because that's what's possible. That's not barrier breaking. That's what's currently existing. Um, so to break barriers, I need to go to God because it's like, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't know how else to do this. I need your thoughts. I need your ways. Where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? I need wisdom from above. Because if I just looked around, I would limit myself, I think, to just what I see because you would think, you know, and and it would be easy to get to my age in your mid-50s and go, well, I've done pretty okay, you know, so this would be it. But if I want to have a spirit of Caleb and Caleb was 85 and he said to Joshua, look, I'm as young now as I was then. Give me this mountain that's my my inheritance. Like, you know, I feel like I'm just warming up. I I, I feel like I don't even feel like I'm actually doing yet what God has put me on the earth to do. I really think I've got one big thing that is yet to, that we're kind of formulating right now. Um, 
And, you know, whereas some of my peers are thinking of retirement at my age, I'm thinking <laughs> everything up to now has been nothing but a foundation, yeah. nothing but a foundation for what's to come. You know, that's incredible. As you were speaking, this is what I thought of. I thought of um, professional barriers that you're breaking that people can learn from no matter what profession they're in. Speaking, leading, talk, as a matter of fact, talk a little bit about Propel, please. Yeah. And a little bit about A21 so that people understand the sure. magnitude of what these organizations do. For sure. Well, you know, with A21, uh, we started that uh, 13 years ago. And in 13 years, uh, our goal is to abolish slavery everywhere forever. We fight to rescue the victims of human trafficking um, around the world, uh, sex trafficking, forced labor trafficking, begging. Mm -hmm. And um, in that amount of time, we have 20 officers around the world. So I have uh, almost 300 staff. So even, you know, navigating that in this season is, is um got its own challenges. You're talking 20 different cultures, 20 different mm. governments, 20 different sets of laws, 20 different sets of mm -hmm. operations. So you, you have to, uh, I, I have had to upskill myself massively in the last decade just to learn things about wow. uh, trafficking and government policies and running freedom centres. We have global campaigns. We're in airports and billboards all around the world with our Can You See Me campaigns um, and uh, we run freedom centers and aftercare programs all around the world. Now, you know, I've had to learn, I've had to grow massively in all of that to learn systems and structures and operations just logistically to have that happening. Um, and so that is a very big part of what we do. We work with the UN, the UNHCR, the Red Cross. Uh, our organization has received um, the Mother Teresa Social Justice Award, the Hero of Human Trafficking Award from the State Department. Amazing. So we we really have achieved at the highest levels uh, um, great recognition. And that's really the work of our team. I'm saying that to applaud our team. Our team is stunning. Best lawyers, best social workers, best aftercare workers. So to lead at that level, um, I, I have had to upskill myself. I went to grad school. I'm doing a master's in leadership and evangelism. And so at 50, I went to grad school because I thought, okay, I've got to learn a whole lot of skills uh, wow. for this next season of my life. And so um, that has really helped me. And then Propel is where we are helping women across the world to fulfill their passion, purpose, and potential and to discover and walk into their leadership potential. So we have 4,000 chapters in 88 countries around the world. And so, uh, you know, um, that is a very effective where we're teaching women um, very specific leadership principles on success and on purpose and management and like really fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. Chapters there, we've got a hundred chapters in Pakistan, all throughout Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, South America, all through North America, Canada, Australasia. So, uh, that, you know, that's only four years old. That really took off big time. So, it is again. Um, really helping to empower even women from uh, communities where we're teaching them to be entrepreneurs, how to be self-sufficient. I mean, it's just some great, great things. Um, and a lot of that came out of my work with A21 because, of course, it's the most vulnerable uh, women and children often um, mm -hmm. that are just left to tend for their families and just uh, to provide. And so to help them build social enterprise and micro enterprise um, projects around the world has just been fantastic. So I do all of that. And then of course, you know, I have a daily television program and um, preach and teach and write books around the world. So that's kind of how I, again, everything, it all really comes back to one thing. Our ministry is called equip and empower because mm -hmm. everything I do is equipping and empowering people to fulfill their God given purpose and potential. And so, um, I really want people to step up and into what it is that God has for them. But I've never wanted to do it alone. And so everything, you know, so I, we start A21, there's hundreds of staff. We start yeah. Propel. It's got thousands of chapters. Um, everything is about empowering people, leading teams, um, and helping people step up into their purpose and destiny. And, of course, for me, working globally, working cross-culturally is just part of the course. It's just what we've always done. It's who we are. Yeah. You know, that's amazing because it seems like what's happening is that all these barriers are being broken, whether it's professional and that should be an encouragement, hopefully to someone who's listening to know that, Hey, you can break professional barriers. It doesn't have to be this or that. It can be this and that 
gender barriers. Yeah. Um, and even I thought what you said about age was so profound. This assumption that sometimes people make that, okay, because I'm done, God's done. And that's not, that's not true. That's put the period where God wants to put a comma. But I feel like it's almost as if when you said equip and empower, equip and empower, it's almost as if, and you tell me if I got this right, that all of these various initiatives that you lead and are part of are just simply delivery systems in different ways, in different forms of the thing that you do. And that is you equip and empower. So when you're speaking, you're doing it one way. When you're writing, you're doing it another. When you're freeing and engaging in liberation ministry and helping people become free from all sorts of slavery, they cannot reach their potential until they're free. So it's it's almost as if someone may assume to do a number of different things. I'm actually doing a number of different things when actually you're doing one thing a number of different ways. That's a barrier breaker, right? I love that you said that. I feel often I say that I feel like the Apostle Paul, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things that love you. I press, I, I, I go, I know to a lot of people, it seems like, wow, Chris Kane's really diverse, you know, um, she's spread across many different things. But I keep going to everyone, no, I actually only do one thing. I actually, I, I still am doing the one thing that God has called me to do. Uh, the expression of that uh, can change, but that's okay. You know, that that's fine. If I was just still doing the one thing the same way 30 years later, that would be a problem because the world's changed 30 years later. So, I'm <laughs> yeah. doing the one thing multiple in multiple different ways, but I am laser focused. For me, I'm laser focused. God called me. This is the direction. I haven't changed direction in 30 years. How I outwork it grows and develops as the Lord leads, but I... Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about the power of focus and laser focus. It's because I mm. wasn't going, I'm going to try this and I'm going to look for that. It's just, I'm going to just take the next step in this one thing that I'm doing. And then I look back and go, wow, look at all these other things that have come out of that. Yeah, I think that is key. And that's so important because one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about along those lines is it's this tension, I think, that we all wrestle with. And the words that I would use to describe it is, my limits in my lane. Like we often hear things like run in your lane or stay in your lane and, and, and do your thing. And I think that is, I think there's a degree of credibility to that because I don't think your gifts and your calling will have two different addresses, right? That whatever you've been called to, you're going to be equipped for. You're built by design, crafted for your calling, wired for your work. I get that. Yet at the same time, I think if you misunderstand lanes, they can be limiting and you can limit yourself to less than actually what you're capable of and what the world needs you to deliver in whatever sphere of influence you're delivering it. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I love that um, you said that because I think what God does is widen your lane if you let Him do that, wow. and so you're and and so I still think we stay in our lane. I, I very mm-hmm. much say, you know, I'm an evangelist. I, th- this is all roads will lead back to that, but mm-hmm. my lane has widened, and I, I, you know, I think that's the principle of faithfulness that and increase that will come. Um, there's a difference between going, I'm jumping out of this lane because now I'm going to jump into that lane. Um, yeah. I think if we pray. God, enlarge the place of my territory, enlarge my lane, um, then you'll find like, wow, I had a limited perspective of what was available in my lane, but now I see I'm still in the same lane, but it's much broader than I ever thought it would be. And I think if you stay open open to that, God will keep broadening your lane and then you won't have the confusion of kind of jumping lanes. A lot of the next generation, I think, feels attention because it's like, well, I feel a bit of this and a bit of that. And I keep saying to them, that's normal because you, God has wired you up like that. It's the both mm-hmm. and your your lane is just what we do. I think is sometimes we look at our lane through the lens of those that ran their lane before us. So we think if that's what 
their lane was like and I've sort of got a bit of that calling. My lane must have to look like that as well. And I'm like going, no, 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 your, your lane is going to have a collaboration um, maybe of, you know, a bit of business here and a bit of ministry here and a little bit of creativity in this way here and a little bit just because your granddaddy maybe was just straight up preacher without this element or that element. That doesn't mean that's not what's in your lane. And so I – still feel like I'm in one lane. I don't feel like I'm in multiple lanes, but my lane has got a rescuing the victims of human trafficking component in it. It's got an empowering women and equipping women component. It's got a television ministry component. It's got a a writing and Bible study uh, component. Um, And who knows what else it's going to have. But I still feel it's exactly the same one lane. It's just broad. And the more faithful I am in what I'm doing, the broader God makes my lane. And then my lane can run off and those things will have sub lanes, but I'm not chasing those things down those lanes. Whatever they create, they can create for other people. That makes, I I, I believe part of my mandate is to create pathways and pipelines into the future Mm. uh, for the next generations. And I think a lot of what I'm doing, I don't have to chase those things down to where they're going to go. I'm just creating pathways and pipelines and it's going to create a lot more lanes for a lot of other people. Yeah. I hope everyone that's listening to this is feeling the way that I'm feeling. I'm I'm trying to hold all my comments in. I'm I'm a part of a call and response culture, so I just want to <laughs> I want to <laughs> say <laughs> I want to holler back at everything everything that you're saying. But this is this is I think this is why I am so inspired. I'm so inspired by what I'm hearing. I'm inspired because I think about all of the people who may still be imprisoned to some sort of slavery. If you would have allowed culture or sometimes even churches understanding of lanes to limit you, the widening of a lane isn't about simply increasing the notoriety of the person. It's really about accomplishing the purposes of God. Like people, I think about all of this, people who are being freed and liberated from human trafficking of any form were waiting on Christine Kane <laughs> to allow God to widen the lane. That's, that's encouraging and a bit scary at the same time. I think it's, um, but there's always people on the other side of our obedience. That's why we have our responsibility, I believe, to say, God, uh, I, I don't want to just be limited in, by my own thinking of how something has to be outworked. Um, Mm. And I think we're not just, when I say creative for creative sake, or uh, I just want to grow, you're going to have to be willing to be misunderstood. Some people will look at you and think, man, you're just trying to get famous. You're just trying to be, you know, you're just trying, you just go, okay, I'm willing to be misunderstood. I'm willing to uh, whatever it takes, because at the end of the day, when I stand before the Lord, I want to be able to look God in the eye and know that I did everything that I was supposed to do this side of eternity to get everyone that I was supposed to uh, help encourage get in on the other side of eternity. So I'm not going to look back and go, man, I was so scared of what people were going to say of the limitations of others, or I wasn't going to be beholden by the insecurities of others or the fears of others. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will only limit you because of their own insecurity, because they're not willing to grow, because they're not willing to change, because they're not willing to expand. So they'll put a God guilt trip on you. Like, man, you just want to do that because you want to be famous or you don't want to do this or, you know, and you're just going, wow, Um, it's their own limitation. And you have to discern, you have to really walk closely with the Lord to know um, is that somebody giving me God wisdom or is that somebody that is just insecure trying to hold me back? Um, and I think the more you walk on with the Lord, like at 40, I wasn't looking to start a global anti-trafficking organization, but the, there was an invitation from the Lord. So it's like, are you going to step into this at 50? I wasn't thinking of starting a, a global women's thing or going to grad school. You know, I mean, I, I was already preaching and teaching around the world already yeah. on daily TV, but yeah. it was like, you know what? I want to be so effective at 60 and 70 because that's all I'm thinking about now. I'm thinking about the next yeah. 20 years. And I'm going, what could be my best gift to the body over the next 20 years? Well, if I dig deeper, 
and become even more skilled at what I do, have a greater understanding of the word, have a greater understanding um, of how to deliver that more effectively in this culture, have a greater depth of knowledge of the needs of this world and the pain and suffering of this world. Well, who knows what I'll be doing when I'm 60 and who knows what I'll be doing when I'm 70. But I'll tell you, it'll be still this one thing. I still will be equipping and empowering people, but I don't know what. You'll be interviewing me then and I'll say, yeah, there's A21 and there's Propel and there's there's (laughs) TV and there's books and there's whatever that's going to be because my lane is going to get broader. Yeah, and all amazing. the gifts and talents that God's given me, I want to use them all. I don't want to just use. I don't think He says go and put some in a cupboard, and you have to die to that. Somehow we had this thinking in Christianity that uh, whatever your best gift is, that's the one you've got to hide, and that's the one you've got to pretend you don't have because it would bring God so much glory if you never use it. I mean, it's just <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this is a statement I'll use to kind of capture what came to my mind as you were describing um what you just mentioned you didn't go through barriers you 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 don't go through barriers you grow through barriers you grow if you're going to be a barrier breaker you don't go there you grow there because i hear yes this reliance on the holy spirit but your response to what you felt led to do was a willingness to invest in yourself You took that invitation so seriously, you were willing to make the investment. And I really feel like that's a a place to park and to lean into for our listeners, because if you believe in some way God wants to use your life in whatever space or sphere of influence you're in, in a significant way, the evidence of that belief isn't just action. It's part of it. It's also an investment that you're willing to make in the you so that you can actually be um, as effective as possible in accomplishing what you feel. Absolutely. Sure. If you're not prepared to sow seeds into yourself, you're not going to harvest anything down the track. And so, Mm. uh, you know, I'm doing this, like I'm at grad school now and the things that I've learned about trafficking, I'm a prolific reader. I mean, I read many books every week. I listen to audio books. I'm listening to podcasts. Um, And the reason I'm doing that is I I want to so learn because I want to be reaping stuff when I'm 60 and 65 Mm. and 70 and, uh, and, and beyond because I think you can stay... That is how you stay forever young. Youthfulness is not uh, the wrinkles on your skin, but it's the attitude mm-hmm. of your heart. I've got a younger wow. disposition than some 30-year-olds that I know, <laughs> um, a greater willingness to learn, to be a lifelong learner, to go, you know, until I go home, I'm not home. So God's got something for me to do here on earth. And I just refuse to get into some sort of retirement mentality. But I also am not trying to do what I was doing at 20 and 30. I'm not that. I want the 20 and 30-year-olds to be doing what they should be doing at 20 and 30 and 40, but I want to be doing what only I can do in my 50s and 60s and 70s, but I've got to be sowing seeds into my 50s, my 50-year-old self, so that my 60-year-old self is going to eat of that harvest, and then I need to be doing things in my 60s that my 70-year-old self is going to be doing. So, it's a dangerous thing, and especially when you're in your 20s and 30s, when you think, We've got a gift and our, our culture celebrates uh, gifts and talents, you know. And so, uh, you, can, you can come out of the sort of the cannon and shoot up into the spotlight. If you've got a bit of a gift and you know how to market yourself, you can, um, you know, you, you might not last, but you're going to have a little bit of notoriety. <laughs> yeah. You might not do anything. Uh, but, you know, the scripture doesn't say that the gift breaks the yoke or chain. It says the anointing does. So the anointing breaks the yokes and the chains. And my thing is, a lot of leaders are gifted, but they're not anointed. So people come in the, one way, broken, in bondage, yeah. uh, and they leave exactly the same way because you can be entertained by a gift, uh, but you can't be changed by a gift. What you're changed by is the anointing, and you only get the anointing when you get crushed. And crushing comes yes. through process. C- crushing comes through learning. Crushing comes through investment, um, through humbling yourself, uh, through just saying, I'm willing to learn, uh, learning the lessons, being corrected, being disciplined, all of those things. That doesn't stop when you're 40 or 50 or 60 or my age. Um, and so the degree 
degree to which I'm still willing to be crushed is the degree to which I still will be anointed is the degree to which God will continue to use me. I don't have to look over my shoulder and go, oh my gosh, is there a young gun coming? I'm like creating pathways and pipelines because I want Mm -hmm. them to be coming. I'm looking forward to what Jesus Mm -hmm. has for me. And so long as I'm still anointed, there's still plenty of ministry ahead for me. (laughs) Absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for this deposit that you just made (laughs) into me, not just everyone else, but into me. We're grateful for your time, grateful for your witness and your ministry and grateful for your modeling for anyone, everyone. In every age and every stage of life, no matter what sphere of influence you are in, what seven mountain you're trying to conquer, we can be barrier breakers and our lanes do not have to limit us. Thank you so much for being a part of today's podcast. It's been incredible. Hey, it's been my honor. Thank you for having me, Darius. Thank you. Thank you so much. time for one of my favorite sections of the show. It is the Ask Dr. Darius section. We get to hear from you and answer some of your questions. Speaking of questions, I want to thank you for your comments and your feedback that you're sending me. I'm learning from it. I'm growing from it. I'm entertained by some of it. And also thank you for your questions. If you have a question on anything relating to faith, life, or culture, I want you to send it to me. Send it to me on Twitter or on Instagram. My handle is Darius Daniels. And who knows, maybe your question will be on next week's show. I've got a few questions that have come in. I'm going to attempt to take a stab at them. The first one comes from Jordan Garcia. And Jordan says, I've got to ask you about the Amud Aubrey shooting in Brunswick, Georgia. Well, Jordan, first of all, I want to say I think it's tragic. It's not only tragic, it's traumatic. And no one is experiencing this tragedy or this trauma like his family. I can't imagine the degree of grief that they're experiencing and how this is going to alter their life for the rest of their life. I also think, though, Jordan, that there is a broader grief that's being experienced, not just by his family, but also there's a degree of grief that's being experienced by a number of different families, my family and different families across this particular country. I think incidents like this are often trauma triggers for African-Americans. So I'm not comparing anyone outside of his family's house grief to his. I'm not making that comparison at all. But I am saying that soon after this video came out, my wife and I were leading a small group and the small group was filled with couples who were married. And we began our small group by asking for some highs and some lows as we typically do. Give me a high this week. Give me a low. And almost everyone's low was the loss of this young man's life. I mean, women, particularly who had African-American sons, were grieved and traumatized in a different type of way. And so I really feel like it's tragic and it's traumatic. But I have been encouraged in a sense, and I've been encouraged by people's response to this. I've been encouraged, one, by religious leaders who are not African-American, who are speaking up and speaking out, recognizing the broader trauma that this causes, regardless of their personal perspective on the incident. I think think it's dangerous when when you assume that your way of seeing the world is the way or your experience in the world is everyone else's experience, especially if you're a person of faith. This whole idea of being slow to speak, but quick to hear means that we should take postures of learning and learning from others and things of that particular nature. And, you know, I really feel like a lot more of that needs to be done in culture. And this is why, because I don't think you can unify when you don't understand each other. I, I just, I don't think it's possible. I think it's, it's a semblance of unity. It's false unity. And sometimes what we call reconciliation is uh, what Amani Perry says is racial uh, um, toleration. It's racial toleration as a, as a result of exhaustion, we just get tired of talking about it, been talking about it for decades. But I feel like unity is worth the effort. We got to continue to have hard conversations. We have to move past empathy 
toward advocacy. I actually did a whole, I did about a 15 minute segment on this on my IG. I called it, I called it, this is a gospel issue. And I kind of gave my thoughts on his shooting and the implications of it for people of faith. So if anyone is interested, they can go on my feed and check that out. It's on Instagram. Okay. Second question comes in from Chris Jacobs. And Chris says, I've seen it reported that many churches may not be reopening after the quarantine. Where is God in that? Chris, I've heard some of those same statistics there. Well, first of all, you asked a great question. And since I've heard that before, I've been thinking a little bit about it. And uh, I think I've got mixed and very interesting emotions regarding it. Uh, On the one hand, I'm grieving deeply. I'm grieving deeply for people who have given their time, talent and treasure to something that might not survive. I can't imagine what that feels like. I know how I feel when I try certain things and it doesn't work. You know, when, when I throw my effort into something and it didn't quite turn out the way that I expected to. And I don't think I don't think anything is more discouraging to give your full self to something and invest your full self into something and not be able to see a return on that investment. That's really discouraging. And so that has to be so hard. And I think it's hard on multiple fronts. I think because, you know, church for many people is um Spiritual family, that's that's the dominant word the New Testament uses to describe church. It's spiritual family. So it's like a it's a supplement and sometimes a substitute for a natural family. There are people who are closer to their friends at times than they are their siblings. And um, all of that's going to be disrupted for them. So I'm grieving in that sense. Practically, it's impacting some people's jobs. Um, however, I think it's important to distinguish a particular expression of a local church and the church. There are times when endings like this are opportunities for new beginnings that will be more effective and fruitful. I think there are times when we label a thing prematurely, right? So we say, yo, this is bad. I think sometimes we can give that label prematurely. I think sometimes it takes time to see all that God's going to do with the thing before we say that thing was actually bad or destructive. It's like a um, vaccine so every year I get a flu shot and I don't like shots. <laughs> I turn, I still turn my head from, from the direction. I tell the nurse, yo, let me know when you get ready to stick me. Cause I don't like shots. I don't like needles. So the pain physically is minimal, but emotionally, listen, it messes me up. So I tell the nurse, let me know so I can turn my head. The point that I'm making is it causes a little pain. It causes pain upon the injection. And then if you've ever had a flu shot, at least in my experience, your arms sore uh, a little bit the next day. But the temporary pain that it causes is far outweighed by the benefit that it brings because the flu disrupts my life in a different kind of way. And so I think that's part of what it means to have our worldview. It's one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, man. I say this often. I will follow Jesus. I will learn from Jesus even if I wasn't a follower of him. It's just that simple. He is the most influential, impactful man to ever walk the earth. And if you just want to do well at life, it just makes sense to learn from him. And so what he teaches us is that God brings beauty out of ashes. I know he's done that in my life. Uh, He's done that in some of the lives of the listeners. And uh, I believe he's going to do that in some churches. In some cases, these closures are going to produce mergers that are going to produce stronger churches. And in some cases, it's going to be the it's going to present the opportunity to innovate and be a church, the church in a different way. Uh, They may not have that building. They may not have the same organizational structure. But if they're gathering and if they're being discipled and if they're loving their neighbor and if they're engaging in community mission, then they're being the church. And so those are kind of my thoughts on that. All right. So, Chris, I hope that helped my brother. All right. The next question comes from Madison Riley. Madison says, I know one of your things is fitness. And I'll be honest, I put on 15 pounds during the quarantine. Madison, we all got some quarantine pounds on us. Come on. Yes, we got to lay aside some of this weight and the sin that so easily besets us. The sin of ice cream sandwiches for me. You know, I'm lactose intolerant, but I found these dairy-free ice cream sandwiches. Listen, if you want to plug... um, Hit me on Twitter and Instagram and I'll let you know about them because I'm telling you, they have blessed my whole life. Listen to me. Why am I talking about ice cream sandwiches? Anyway, Madison says, any tips on getting back to work shape after this time at home is over? The first thing I'm going to say, Madison, is give yourself some grace. You can't get back up and beat yourself up at the same time. I don't think we should keep revisiting what we can't revise. 
so I think this question can be answered two ways. Give yourself some grace, of course. But getting back into work shape is like physically and mentally. I understood the mental implications of this. Every year I take kind of an extended break. And most years I would take an extended break in the summer. And it would always be difficult for me not just to recover physically, but like mentally, because the brain is a muscle too. And it would be difficult for me to get back into work shape mentally. So this is what I'd say. I'd say, except first of all, that physically and mentally, getting back into shape hurts. <laughs> it sucks a little bit. <laughs> so you got to be willing uh, you got to be willing to um, to choose what pain is going to be worse, right? So if you keep delaying it, you keep delaying <laughs> the pain, you're also going to keep delaying your recovery. So the sooner, the better, because it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. It's going to disrupt your life and your rhythm. And it's going to take a while for your brain and your body to get back into shape. But one thing I recommend is to, is to start the routine as soon as you can now, like you were going to the office or if remote work is in your future, then look at what scheduling looks like for you in a new rhythm. If that makes sense. So I actually heard of people who were taking walks <laughs> around the time they would be commuting, commuting home just to kind of turn the brain off of work mode and get it back into family mode. So I think whatever your timing rhythm is like at work, when you're at work, it's important to try to reestablish that as best as you can. You won't be able to do it perfectly while you're at home. And I think um, that will really aid and assist in kind of triggering your brain and reestablishing some new healthy habits. So I think that's that's super important. And physically, I'm I'm like no physical fitness expert. For me, this is this is kind of this is probably going to be surprising for you to hear me say this. I don't. For me, fitness is about quality of life, not just like quantity. I do believe I can contribute to leaving earth before my time. I don't think I can, I can extend it. Just my theology just kind of looks at things a little differently. I think to some degree when it's my time, it's my time. I think I can, I can shorten it, <laughs> but I don't think, I don't think I can lengthen it. So the point that I'm making by that is, man, fitness is relative. It's, I think it's just a matter of, what it looks like for you, obviously, you want to be healthy, a good steward of your body and um, things of that particular nature. But for me, it's it's quality of life. I want an energy with my kids. I want to be my highest and best self. I want to be the most productive. And um, that's kind of my motivation. And I'm talking about that because, listen, I don't care what kind of schedule or accountability partners or whatever we put in our devices. Why power is stronger than willpower. It doesn't matter. You say, hey, I'm going to work out tomorrow at eight. You can put that in the calendar. The alarm can go off. <laughs> you got to will yourself into doing it. So why power is stronger than willpower? So those are those are my thoughts on that. Hope that helps. But I'm not saying don't put it on the calendar, Madison. Put it on the calendar. Successful people in any area are masters of the calendar. Don't tell your time where to go. You'll wonder where it went. Come on, somebody. Okay, I got another question here. It comes from Darius Merchant. Darius, I love your name. Whoever named you your first name, high five them or air five right now. All right, number four. If you if you follow culture stuff, I know you have some thoughts on this Takashi Six Nine situation and his IG live. Yes, I follow the culture stuff, <laughs> and yes, I'm aware of Takashi's uh, IG live. Hey, he broke the internet. He I mean, Tory Lane had it for a while, but yeah, his life broke the internet. So first of all, this is what I'm saying. I'm just going to say, I'm going to be really brief with this one. I'm praying for him. I, I think there are a few things that we need to consider. And one is, I don't believe in making any excuses. I'm not. Uh, but I do believe that some brokenness leads to badness. And if I didn't see people that way, I don't think I would. I should, I should be in the line of work that I'm in. Uh, and so I'm not saying everybody has to see it the way that I see it. But I am saying if I don't see people this way, I should not be in the line of work that I am. If I'm just going to make judgments about a person based off of the fruit that they've uh, shown, I probably shouldn't be in the line of work that I'm in. All right. So this is what I think. I think some it's really important to consider the complexity of being in your early 20s, wealthy, navigating a world of music, uh, drugs, crime. That's complex. Um, and I'm not saying he's not responsible for being in, in those situations. He is. But that's a lot that young. And I think he's done a lot of things he regrets. 
I think he's experiencing the harvest of some of the seeds that he sowed. I think that's a that's a life principle. It's a scriptural principle. We reap what we sow. And some of the consequences of our actions, uh, what are those? every decision is pregnant with the potential to produce a season. You make a decision in like 30 minutes that affects you for 30 years. And um, sometimes the consequences of our choices are relational. Um, sometimes the consequences of our choices impact our image. They impact others' families. So I think he's living through and living with some of the consequences of choices that he's made. I also think kind of the callousness of heart that we that at least I felt like I saw on the IG Live was a defense mechanism of, of someone who felt deeply betrayed, who was deeply and who was deeply deeply attacked. At least he felt that way. And so I just hope he gets a, a revelation that there isn't a dollar amount that you'll ever make that'll make you feel happy or safe. It isn't. Not a dollar amount, not an amount of security that will ever make you feel happy or safe. Um, that, that fulfillment that all of us are looking for only comes in discovering your purpose and living life according to the creator's design. I hope he understands that as a man with a family, our choices impact more people than us. And we will have a family. We no longer have the right to simply take ourselves into consideration when we're making decisions. We give up that right when we have families. And I also hope that he understands that a second chance is a gift from God that we must steward responsibly. Um, I would say to him, if I had a chance to talk to him, you're a talented brother. You're loved by God. There's a reason for your existence. And uh, you hadn't seen success until you figure that out and start living that out. And uh, that would be my encouragement to him. So those are my thoughts on Takashi. And last but not least, Henry Booker had to come through with a question on Michael Jordan. He says, I'm betting if I send in a Jordan question, you'll answer it. He said, when the documentary shows Scottie Pippen refusing to go in the game, what were your thoughts? Well, man, I had mixed feelings. First of all, I'm thinking as a coach and as a teammate, how I would respond to that. As a coach, if someone on my team, as a leader, someone on my team responded that way, how would I feel? And I, yeah, I would be upset by it. I feel like it was wrong. It was selfish. Um, I feel like as a teammate, I feel the same way. I feel like in some sense, it undermined his credibility. It disrupted King team chemistry. But then at the same time, man, I want to put myself in his shoes. And I'm like, he needs grace. So listen to this. We talk about this uh, a lot kind of in my sports circles. I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to give us an understanding. <laughs> so check this out. So think about a guy who's been underpaid. And this is what I mean. Yes, he was underpaid. He was still wealthy. But I want you to think about the emotional implications of being underpaid like that and giving yourself to an organization and other people making substantially more resources than you. And they are way less talented than you are. The entire world knows it. And there's a refusal on the part of that organization to make any adjustments of any kind with you. So the issue is beyond economic. It becomes emotional then. It becomes disrespect. It becomes devalue. It becomes, I feel unappreciated. And that is emotional needs are real needs. That's not like we don't tell somebody, yo, you weak because your stomach is growling. I got a physical need. I want some, a burger. You know, that don't mean I'm weak. It means I'm human. So you got spiritual needs, physical needs, and emotional needs. And man, everybody needs to feel appreciated. So for example, it's Mother's Day. I got my wife a gift. I know it wasn't about the gift in and of itself, but it's the message that the gift sends. I value you. And uh, sometimes we don't realize what professional athletes give up for a team. There was this guy, not old school Isaiah Thomas, but new Isaiah Thomas, new school Isaiah Thomas. His sister died. And then it was like the next day he played in a playoff game for the Boston Celtics. And then that offseason, they traded him. So some of these guys, there is a business to basketball, but some of these guys make an emotional investment. There's an expectation sometimes of the fans and of the organization to make for them to make an emotional investment. And I don't know, I'm not just, I'm not with this demonizing somebody because they're rich. Like, because you're rich, you don't have the right to have feelings. You're human. And your economic status doesn't change that. 
So it's no excuses. I thought it was wrong. I thought it was destructive. I, I think he's he's reaping what he sowed in that particular area, but he's dealing with years of a lack of appreciation, years of being in Michael Jordan's shadow. Michael Jordan leaves. Scotty steps up, has an MVP calendar year. And then when it comes to crunch time, when Phil chooses Tony, which Kukos should take that last shot, which was the right call, by the way, because Tony made the shot. It was the right call. I don't think it was an issue of whether or not he trusted Phil. I think it was, I think the issue is he just felt dissed. He felt unappreciated. I think Phil was the one he thought really believed in him because he felt like upper management didn't. And then when he didn't get the opportunity to take that last shot, it's like a man, it's like somebody pouring salt in a wound. Like, I don't believe in you either. So I hadn't made choices like that, but I have acted irrationally when I felt like I was hurt emotionally. And I just think the difference between us and Scottie Pippen is that millions of people got to see his and millions don't get to see ours. I don't condone it. I don't think he should have did it, but I get it. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, please. I want to hear from you. If you got questions, send them to me, please. At Twitter, and on Instagram, my handle is Darius Daniels. That is today's show, everybody. I want you to tune in next week. Please spread the word. Let people know about the Darius Daniels podcast. Take care. Relevant Podcast Network.